Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode five brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, to help me break down the opposing quarterback like we do on this series every week, QB1 in my heart, Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic, my friend. Always a blast to be here. And Michael, as you and I hope now our listeners are fully aware, we like to begin this show with a little bit of historical knowledge, perhaps sometimes some myth busting. We did that last week and I felt it was appropriate to do that again. And you know full well that my historical interests tend to parallel whatever video game I am playing at the moment. For example, this time last year, I was transfixed by World War I, and I would often send you pictures of books I was reading about Verdun or the Somme or whatever, because you and I were playing Battlefield One. Well, this year, of course, the game we are playing is Red Dead 2. And of course, in that game, you can do things such as rob banks, and bank robberies have become sort of a part of the myth and the legend and the aura of the frontier days, the Wild West, as it were. But that is just a myth. Mm. According to the fine folks at the Foundation for Economic Education, and just as an aside, those holiday potteries have to be benders, man. I mean, you can just imagine them getting out for it over at the FEE. But they actually researched this and they found when they researched over a 40-year period in the frontier area, in the Wild West, they found less than 10 actual bank robberies. Less than 10. Wow. The reason why these become so mythologized in our mind is the fact that they were so hard to do. Consider how these towns were built. And you know this if you've played Red Dead 2. The bank... It's right in the middle of town. It's usually got stores on either side of it. So there's basically one way in, one way out, unless you want to blast through the back of the back wall of the, the bank itself. But let's remember, they often had not only structures on either side of them, they had people living up top. Usually the bankers themselves would live in the bank, so they would be there all the time, which is why bank robbery was so hard to do in their time period, which is why it became just an absolute mind-blowing event when somebody like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, when they pulled this stuff off. So there you go. Since we're playing the Cowboys <laughs> this week, a little bit of wild meth mythology busting for you. I love it. Yeah. Uh, my historical reference, and I, I did this very lazily. I did not prepare in the manner that you did and, and looked up, you know, the, the 40 years of worth of research of bank robberies. But well, again, it was our great friends at the Foundation for Economic Education coming through for us like they do when they party hard. Yes, they like to party. But yeah, my, my um, equivalent for Dak Prescott, I think was uh, Nero. Uh, because very popular in the very beginning of his reign, spending a lot of money, you know, games were put on. And then as his reign progressed, became less and less popular. You know, so, you know, the Senate turns on him, the Praetorian Guard turns on him, he commits suicide. But then, like, there's this resurgence because he's still kind of popular with a, with a sect of the Roman populace. And there are all these pretender Neros that, that crop up and there's some civil wars and whatnot. And that's kind of the civil war going on with the Dallas Cowboys fan base. So we got both those historical references. I'm happy with that. And look, we have covered our topic before. Our first episode of this QB Sco show was on Dak Prescott. So if you, gentle listener, want even more analysis, 
We do a whole career retrospective, his draft profile, all that. Go back and seek that out. It was released on November 8th to preview the Week 10 matchup. That's the QB Sco Show Episode 1. So, Mark, part of our job is done in that regard. As such, I've added a conversation with Mark Bullock to the end of this show. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. He covers the Redskins for the Athletic DC. And we talked about where the Redskins go from here after they've been decimated. Well, actually, worse than decimated. Decimation is actually one out of every 10 men, but they've been ravaged, you get the point, by injuries, so stay tuned for that. But Mark, there is more to talk about with Dak, seeing as that Week 10 game against the Eagles is what spurred a four-game win streak for the Cowboys. The main difference maker for them on offense since then, of course has been Amari Cooper, and I was using the Quant Edge tools at thequantedge.com. Use their tools to just see the kind of difference he's made, and what you're seeing is a significant boost in passing success rates, nearly an extra yard in yards per attempt for Dak. So I guess the question is, have the Cowboys done anything differently schematically, or is it just a matter of Dak, who is a see-it-throw-it type of quarterback, as he doesn't possess tremendous anticipation, that he has a receiver now that can create separation on his own without necessarily needing it to be schemed up for him. That's exactly it. It's more the latter. And the impact on this offense from Amari Cooper is all over it from a wins and losses perspective. It's all over there from a purely production perspective. I mean, you look at pre-Amari Cooper, this was a team that was converting, you know, 4.1 first third down opportunities a game. It was jumped to like 6.5. That's before for their game against the Saints. That n- number hasn't changed that much, I don't think. But passer rated, pre-Amari Cooper, 87.4. Post-Amari Cooper, 100.4, 102.4. You know, completion percentage jumps from 62 to 70. Passing yards yeah. per game jumps from 202 to 252. Total yards per game, 139 to 359. And the big difference is it's that separation question where now they have a route runner who can get you that consistent separation versus press man versus off man versus catch man versus zone coverage. And the reason why that's so beneficial for Prescott, like we talked about when we first discussed him, he's a quarterback that, like you said, first, there's the anticipation question. I'll get to that in a second, but he struggles with ball placement, but now he has a receiver that gets open so much gets such separation on his routes in and out of his breaks that the ball placement doesn't matter as much. And so if yeah. he throws behind Amari Cooper, if he throws it to the wrong shoulder, the wrong hip, the wrong you know, butt cheek, whatever, he can still make the catch because he's got that separation. And what it's done is it's made Prescott a more confident quarterback to the point where anticipation was a problem for him earlier in this year. But you look at their game against New Orleans from you know, a week and a half ago or so. You know They run a mirrored Haas concept on their opening drive on a first and 10. And I actually have it in my notes where I wrote out he actually makes an anticipation throw here. Like it's literally in my notes because it, yeah. you see it. You're just like, it's like seeing the Holy grail. You're like, I can't believe we have finally found this because that has been one of his flaws. But now he's got that confidence where it's sort of like just a byproduct of having Cooper. It's made him a more comfortable, confident quarterback. There are still flaws. We can get to those, but Cooper has been, Everything the Cowboys could have dreamed for. So something that got lost in that Dallas win over the Saints was Dak Prescott's performance. And what my eyes saw were two very different quarterbacks in the same game. There was Dak Prescott that took what was there, was very efficient. You said he made that anticipation throw. He made some great plays with his legs on scrambles, converted some first downs with that. He was 24 for 28. 
115.5 quarterback rating. He threw a touchdown. But then you also see the quarterback with the pocket issues and the movement in the pocket isn't also, you know, isn't always so great. He's kind of frantic back there. He's also got some fumbling issues too. And he nearly gave the game at the end with the fumble yeah. on third and five towards the end of the game. Mark, he took seven sacks in this game and has taken a lot of sacks and people often think of sacks as an offensive line issue but with Dak pro football focus has credited him with more sacks independent of his offensive line than any other quarterback in the league and a a portion of those sacks belong to Dak obviously and and it's it's something that has plagued them all year what did you see when you watched Dak against the Saints because again at the end of the game I mean if I were a Dallas fan he would scare the living daylights out of me he loses that fumble on a sack he puts the Cowboys in a situation where they have to stave off Drew Brees one more time Uh, they pull it off they do it somehow who knows if it's an island game or not we're going to figure that out with the Dallas Cowboys defense as the season continues but Dak is a guy that his pocket movement man his awareness and his ball security issues again would just scare me as a Dallas fan yeah and you know the, the thing about this play that that fumble at the end of the game is you've got to also factor in the context and the situation because it's a third and five you're at their six you're in field goal range you've got a three-point lead look maybe you don't feel like six points is enough generally against the Saints but given how your defense has been playing you take the three in a heartbeat, you make it a six-point game, given the flow of this game. Pocket starts yeah. to collapse around him. It's kind of a you know cover one blitz look where you see the linebackers creeping up pre-snap. So you know the blitz is coming. You've got basically a crossing concept. It's mesh variant where you've got sort of the backside post and you've got a crosser route from the tight end coming over it. It's not there. Throw it away. Like mm. that's issue number one. Issue number two is that lack of anticipation. It's still there because as he starts to sort of break down in the pocket, that post does come open because it's a middle of the field open coverage. So he's got a window where if he just pulls the trigger, he can throw this post route for a touchdown. And it's interesting because I'm watching this and as you go through the snap, what happens is he drops back. The the immediate thing that he's looking at is that tight end who's got a nickel corner, it looks like, trailing him. And then he's got the linebacker Anzalone in front of him. He has to know that that blitzer on the left side, that linebacker, that space is going to be free now. And he knows that he's got the post with Gallup and he should be able to stick on that. What he does instead, and as, as you watch it from the end zone angle, his hips open up to the right and he takes a peek at Amari Cooper to the right and he sees that he's doubled. And that, with the pocket collapsing, makes him too late to be able to get back to Gallup. That's exactly right. The, the biggest problem here, it's a failure to identify a pre-snap. Because you look at the pre-snap alignment here, you don't see any defender in the end zone. You know, this is a clear bracket double on Cooper. There's no safety help. There's no middle of the field safety. So he's got to realize pre-snap that Cooper is doubled. There's no sense even looking to right. And you're not going to look to Beasley. He's way out there. No point in forcing that throw. So it's either you've got that crosser or you've got the post. You've got to work that concept. And with the middle of the field open, that's the one you have to make that anticipation throw on. So his choices are pretty clear once this play begins. You're throwing that post, you're throwing that crosser, or you're throwing it to the cute girl in the front row. Like those are your three options. That's your progression read. And he doesn't do any of those. And that's sort of the ultimate problem that will always be present with Prescott, even with the Amari Cooper edition, is that those sort of moments, you can still pressure him, which is why the key to this game is going to be get those doubles 
It's not like playing the Saints, guys. Not like playing the Saints, Eagles fans. We have to double both Kamara and Thomas and watch your third string tight end rip you up. <laughs> you just bracket Cooper, pressure him. You'll see plays like this where he'll give up some sacks. That's how the Eagles are going to win this game. Yeah, and I feel like they're going to come out with a game plan very similar to what they did against the Giants with Odell Beckham Jr. and put some brackets on Amari Cooper and take that away. If you take that away, maybe you get a different version of Dak Prescott than what we've seen for the majority. Like He's had some up and down play, but I think you can really force him back into being a pumpkin if you take away uh, the guy that has made such a big difference for them and make the other guys make plays as long as your other you know the cornerbacks and linebackers are able to hold up in coverage they don't have a tight end threat you know Zeke is it's been utilized more in the passing game but he's not a dynamic threat downfield or anything like that you can put a linebacker on it and, and deal with life that way so I would say take Cooper away and then see what else Dak can do against you is there anything else about Dak's game because I want to talk about this Alex Smith thing that just came out but is there anything else about Dak's game that you wanted to mention that you may have seen since the last time we spoke you know I mean I, I think we really sort of touched on you know the man thing the other thing I think that the Eagles do need to be aware of is that running back screen game there were some times when yeah. you know they telegraphed a pre-snap they will go gun and it's basically empty they'll, they'll put more like an up back in front you know they'll put Ezekiel Elliott sort of staggered into an up rack like he's going to be pass blocking helping him pass bro but then they'll release him on screens there are some times where they diagnose a pre-snap where you could blow those up but you got to worry about the running back screen game they will get Elliott involved get the ball in his hands that way as well you know, and as far as the rest of the stuff that they did against New Orleans, you got to be ready for your switcher rules. You know, they're going to do yeah. a lot of slant flat stuff. They are going to try to stress your banjo calls, your switch rules on those quick little West Coast type concepts where they're trying to get those rubs, trying to get you to switch. So you've got to be ready on those. There were there was a time where you know they got a rub concept against the Saints. They ended up with a linebacker and a wide receiver. And it was probably the right decision technically by Prescott, but given the situation, you know, it was a third and seven. I think they had to push it downfield a little bit more and take the deeper slant route. You know, some some stuff to watch there. But this is who Dak Prescott is. This is what they do. They haven't changed a ton schematically. It's just they've had the addition of Cooper, which has really given a boost to their offense and at times a boost to Prescott and his confidence. Right. And to follow up on that, some of the communication issues in the Eagles secondary right now, you know, being stressed by those things where you've got to run banjo or switch or whatever the case may be, that is going to stress that. And I would agree that the screen game for the Eagles, the running back screen game, has been a problem for them, was in the first game against Dallas, has continued to be so for the most part. So you definitely have to look out for that with Zeke in the passing game. But to transition towards this interview with Mark Bullock about the Washington Redskins team and where they go from here, I wanted to get your opinion on this. I mean, or at least break this to you. I don't even know if you've seen this yet because when me and Mark talked, this hadn't dropped yet. But Eric Bickle, a radio host in Washington for 106.7 The Fan, uh, tweeted this out, quote, Hearing from several different people over the last few days that Alex Smith is having devastating complications from his broken leg surgery, battling infection. Supposedly, he's had multiple surgeries to try and combat the infection. Chances of him playing again in real jeopardy. Mark, Alex Smith may be done for his career, if this is anywhere, if this is true, uh, you hope it's not. You hope he's able to come back. But Mark pointed out in the interview coming up that there has been 
nothing from the Redskins organization or from Alex Smith, either from himself in an interview or on social media saying, you know, working back to to start week one and, and all this stuff. It's been very quiet on that front. What do, you, what do you make of all this? I think it's a serious concern that his career is over. And there was that fear just from the initial hit. I mean, this was basically right. the same Thiesman type injury. Yeah, it's 30 years later or so. Obviously, medicine is different than it was then. Guys are coming back from horrific looking injuries. But sometimes they don't. He's also older, though. An older quarterback. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's almost my age. So, yeah, he's old. So, this is obviously a huge setback for him. And it's at absolutely the worst time for an organization to have to think about we need a new starting quarterback next year because we're starting to get into senior bowl and draft mode and all of that stuff. And hi kids, the 2019 draft class specifically, if some kids don't come out is not going to be a gold mine. And they've got too many wins there. They would have to trade up to make a they significant move trade up to get a big move. Unless you go the free agency route, you might imagine right. that guys like a, a car might be available. A Bridgewater might be available. A Tannehill might be available. A Boros might be available, but do any <laughs> of those guys really sort of excite you? If you're a Washington fan, probably not. There's a reason why those guys might be available. Because they haven't really lived up. Now, you could could make a case that over the past couple of weeks, Carr has gotten better. And so maybe there's still hope there for him in Oakland. But this is a bad thing for the organization. It is a horrible thing for Alex Smith. Because with this setback, with this infection setting in to compound an already horrific injury, I mean, they found a fracture in his spine because of how violent the twist in action was to this. And... You know, this is a good reminder whenever you see, you know, somebody's holding out and people say, oh, get back on the field and adding them <laughs> on Twitter. When you could suffer an injury like this that creates a, such force, you twist and fracture your spine in this game, <laughs> get every dollar you can before yeah. you get out. Like, yeah. come on, Absolutely. maximize your value. So it's a horrible situation all around. Obviously, we're, we're praying. We're praying that Alex Smith gets back to it and can play again, or at least healthy enough where if he wants to, he can play again because it just right. sounds awful. And for the Redskins, this could not come at a worse time than you lose Colt McCown, and now you've got Mr. Butt Fumble himself. I mean, it's a bad situation for the Redskins. That team looks like it's going to be in free fall. So, yeah, this obviously that lets us to believe that this game between Philly and Dallas is going to be huge. And all that talk about Washington is a perfect setup for me to kick it over to this interview with Mark Bullock at Mark Bullock NFL. Again, covers the Redskins for the Athletic DC. Give him a follow. Had a great chat with him about the Redskins. Let's kick it over to that right now. And joining us here on the QB Sco Show is Mark Bullock. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Mark, I, I hate to lead off with this, but as we know, the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Washington Redskins 28-13 to on Monday Night Football. I was required to say that as part of this introduction, so my apologies for any perceived salt in the wound. But <laughs> the first question I have for you is, were there any positive takeaways from the Redskins that you saw in the game after you went back and you reviewed the film? 
uh, it was pretty tough to find some, uh, if I'm totally honest. I yeah. mean, you're talking about a team that's been just decimated by injuries and down to the third quarterback that they didn't even have two weeks ago. Um, and guard, five guards on injured reserve. It's really, really tough. If there was one positive, other than you know Mark Sanchez's ability to hand off the ball to Adrian Peterson, that was that was pretty fantastic. But other than that, uh, it was Fabian Moreau, the cornerback, uh, second year corner, who he's been playing nickel, but with the injuries to Quinton Dunbar, he he's had to kick outside, and he's had he's had kind of a rough season so far. But I, I felt like he probably had his best game of the year so far, and he still had, gave up a couple of catches here and there. But I, I thought he was a lot tighter in coverage and, and managed to contest a couple of catches. I think he got two pass breakups, maybe just one. I, I thought he was it was a lot better than he had been, but outside of that it's it's really, really tough to find many positives from from that performance. When I watched the film of the Redskins for the past few weeks in preparation for this, I felt like Moreau, you know, in the nickel was a player that was trending up and that kind of seems in line with what you're saying. Would I be accurate in that assessment? Yeah, he um he he's Struggled to start the season. Um, he's kind of a similar situation to, to what they had with Kendall Fuller, where the first year, his rookie year was kind of a write-off because he was coming back from an injury that he had in college and he wasn't right. fully up to speed. And, and so his second year was kind of his, his, kind of his rookie year, um, where he's finally getting reps and, and regular playing time. And he's kind of been thrown in the deep end because they have nobody else. And so he started off a bit rough, but he's, he's showing some some progression. And then certainly this week was probably, I think, his best performance of the season so far. So hopefully, as you say, that if there's a positive to take out of it, it's, it's Moreau trending up. Yeah. And I liked him a lot coming out in the draft. But let's flip the question over to the Eagles because I brought you on to talk because I value your opinion. Your film breakdowns are top shelf. You see the game differently. You're able to talk about it differently than a lot of people that cover it. What did you see from the Eagles from an outsider's perspective that impressed you on film? Your center is absolutely outstanding. <laughs> Jason Kelsey is ridiculously good. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone saw what he did on, on the uh, Sproles touchdown and yeah. how he how he reached Foster and then blocked him with one arm and then managed to pick up, uh, was it Swearinger or Clinton Dix? I can't remember who managed, managed to pick up a safety get a two for one but the one that also impressed me on that was, was Zach Ertz how well he managed to sprint from the backside to cut off to not only reach a linebacker like Zach Brown who's athletic but cut him off and stop him from making a play on that that, that was absurd to me um it really stood out was I, I probably underestimated Zach Ertz as, as a blocker and an all-round player but he is he is a damn good tight end um and in I think the Eagles have a, a pretty solid group of tight ends as well. But Ertz is uh, is really fantastic. And, and as I say, Jason Kelsey stood out nearly every other play. Um, he has fantastic technique and the, his ability to move and block in space is is phenomenal. Yeah, I would say it was a top five game for Kelsey like over the life of his career, which is saying a lot because he's a fantastic center. And, and Zach Ertz's like, weakness is blocking, but occasionally you get the the flashes like that. But going back to the to the Redskins, Mark, the, and you alluded to this, the injury bug that has hit this team is nasty, and it continues to get worse. And trust me, as a person who covers the Eagles, I can sympathize. But yesterday in his press conference, Jay Gruden said that cornerback Quentin Dunbar and wide receiver Trey Quinn had been placed on IR. Both were contributors for this team. I think it was a 17-yard pass to Zach Ertz on play action in which Ryan Anderson was injured. I saw him grabbing the, the back of his, his thigh there. He didn't practice yesterday. Chase Royer, the center, has a grade one sprain in his knee. And uh, defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis 
practice, did not play against the Eagles, didn't practice on Wednesday. And that goes along with Alex Smith, Colt McCoy now, Brandon Scherf, Sean Laval, all hurt. Mark, where does this team go from here with the pieces that are left? Uh, man, it's it's really, really hard. Um, and you want to say, like, you, you have to have an X-man-up mentality and stuff, but we're talking about they're on the third-string quarterback. They've just brought in a fourth quarterback, Josh Johnson. They have five guards on IR, so we're, we're talking about, like, and Tony Bergstrom's hurt as well, so right. he was the backup center, and he was playing right guard. He was starting at right guard because of Brandon Sheriff, and now he's hurt, so they had to bring in another guard. Backup swing tackle, uh, Grom Christian, is on IR as well. I didn't realize he was on IR. Yeah, he's on IR. When did he get hurt? Uh, a few weeks ago, maybe Jeez. week eight or nine, something <laughs> like that. It's, it is absurd the amount of injuries they have. They, they, have a, they have a starting offense on IR right now. Uh, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. So it is very, very tough, and, and especially with the offensive line, because um, it's not like... The guys that are still playing are, are fully healthy. Like Trent Williams is playing with his, his thumb that had a surgery on a few weeks ago. And Morgan Moses always seems to have something wrong with him. So they're playing pretty banged up. So it's very, very tough for this team right now. And it's it's kind of hard to see them pick it up from, from here on out. I think Mark Sanchez in, in his presser said all the right things and, and showed that, that you know they, they have to have that kind of next man up mentality and... and the Giants on Sunday won't care that the Redskins have so many injuries that they've still got to make a play on third and five or what have you. And and that that is the attitude they've got to have. But at the same time, it, it's very, very tough to overcome. And, and it's so unfortunate that it's been back-to-back years because it was a similar situation last year. And it give, it makes it very tough to evaluate the players that you have, but also the coaching staff and whether that is kind of what you you want going forward or whether you need to make a change in the off season and that, that's kind of tough to do when you have this amount of injuries at this many positions with the depth that you guys have along that offensive line i noticed that ty Niseki, who i think is like one of the best backup tackles in the league yep. uh sure. he's 33 years old he's on a contract year is that somebody that like you prioritize getting back do you think you get him at around that three million dollar figure considering the line depth around the entire nfl especially at offensive tackle is poor right now yeah, they've done really well to uh, a find him and b hold on to him and resist. Like uh, a lot of people think he he could be a starting tackle, and I'm yeah. I'm up there. I think he could probably be a starting left tackle for at least ten, probably fifteen teams yeah. in the league right now, if not more. Um, and when Trent Williams was out for a couple of weeks with his thumb, the best compliment I can pay to Ty Seki is that you didn't necessarily notice that Trent Williams wasn't there. Certainly, right. in pass protection, like you missed him a little bit on the the screens and the the runs where you you pull Trent Williams to the edge but um and Seki's not that but he he was fine in pass protection so it's someone that they would absolutely love to to retain but I would I would imagine for, from Seki's point of view he'd want to go somewhere where he has the opportunity to start because he's good enough to start whether the Redskins can make him an offer that can say hey you know we have injuries you know you can play on this line and you'll you'll be needed to play on this line um and at his age Maybe he will settle for that kind of role with a little bit extra money. But I, I would think in the offseason, like last year, they were able to hold on to him. I think he was a restricted free agent, so they managed right. to hold on to him from that point of view. But um, this year, I think he becomes uh, an unrestricted free agent. And, and so I'd imagine he will try to test the market and get his starting job. But um, So it will make it tough to retain him. But if they can, I would have thought they would 
make that a priority. That is uh, someone who I would have circled if he had to if he hit the market. If Jason Peters retires, and even even then, I would be like, "Yo, we got to go get this guy because he does play really well when he's in there." Let's go to someone else that uh, may or may not return as well. You know, you you hear things about Alex Smith and his return to football next year. You really don't know what to believe because it's so far out. But he's had that that spiral fracture in his ankle. What's the the mood on his status as far as him coming back next year? It's it's an odd one because he hasn't made any sort of public statement, and and he's one of those guys that doesn't have any sort of social media. So <laughs> normally you you'd see a, you'd, you'd see some sort of message of hey thanks for the support and I'll be back and. Uh, race on for week one and all that kind of stuff. And and with Smith, he doesn't have any social media, so you haven't had any of that. But there hasn't been anything from the team. There hasn't been anything from Gruden or nobody's come out and said anything about like how he's feeling. So it's kind of tough to say exactly where he's at because we just don't really know. I would have thought with the contract he's on, he would certainly like to come back, yeah. considering <laughs> he's pretty much guaranteed through twenty twenty to be making a lot of money. So it, it would have to be some sort of uh injury to that he couldn't come back from for him to pass up on that. But That's yeah, wild. it's <laughs> it's it's really, really tough to see um how he wouldn't be back simply because of the contract. Um yeah. it's tough to see how he wouldn't be back and I would have thought starting, but there's certainly a chance that, you know, going into the off season, they go, well, we, we can't guarantee he'll be ready for week one. So we'll draft a quarterback and we'll, because right now with Colt McCoy injured as well, they don't know, they might not have anyone healthy for OTAs, let alone trading camp in the season. So you might have to draft a guy and you might have to spend a high round pick, which I mean, doesn't sound like it's the best draft for it. Yeah. That, that's kind of the quarterback situation at the moment is all up in the air in Washington. So that's going to be definitely something to track as we move through the offseason process. And if we continue to not hear anything, that'll be wild. And looking briefly into the offseason, Mark, last question for you. Outside of just getting guys back from injury, let's say that Alex Smith does come back. We'll eliminate that scenario. What do you think needs to be fixed or added to this Redskins team to make them more dangerous. And of course, they were a legitimate contender this year. They were in the lead for the NFC East before the injury bug hit them. So not necessarily be competitive in the NFC East, but be competitive and dangerous in the in the loaded NFC. The biggest need, I think, is um, is at corner. Uh, Josh Norman, uh, while he's under contract, they, they have the way his contract's played out is that they can cut him for next to nothing this offseason and, and they can move on if they wanted to. And that would leave them with Moreau, who we've talked about, and, and mm. Quinton Dunbar, who's looked good, but he has this nerve injury in his leg that he's gone on IR for, as, as you mentioned earlier. So they, they lack a little bit of depth at corner. So I'd imagine corner will be high on, on their, their needs. Some speed at linebacker. I think you've talked a lot on Twitter about Mason Foster. <laughs> and I'm more of a fan of Mason Foster than most. Uh, I, I understand that, you know, he, he's not the most athletic and he can get exposed in certain coverage matchups. But I, I think he fits runs relatively well. Yeah. But they could definitely use some more speed at linebacker. And, and that's part of the reason why they made the controversial move to pick up Ruben Foster was, was because they wanted that athleticism at, at middle linebacker. Um, then you have Preston Smith is a, is a free agent, um, and and they don't have any, they haven't made any sort of contracts uh, negotiations with him yet, as far as I know. So he did, uh, he did really well against Jason Peters from what I when I saw him lined up against them, or was it McPhee? 
It was one of the two that was getting the best of Peters on a couple of reps. Yeah, Preston Smith has a kind of a history of doing pretty well against Peters. Um, his length is a bother for a lot of the NFC East tackles. He, he can give Tyron Smith a bit of a tough game as well um, because of his length, and he can get that long arm in there and power guys back sometimes. But yeah. whether whether they manage to sort out a deal to bring him back, because he's a frustrating one because he will flash plays of brilliance where you think, this is a guy, this is a really good edge rusher, and then he... Yeah. He'll have so many plays where he's not quite there and he's just about to get to the quarterback and the ball gets out or he's he's just about to beat the tackle and the ball comes out and sort of thing. So he doesn't finish a lot of his flash plays, which kind of makes you wonder exactly what price he's worth and how much they'll be willing to go for him in free agency. So if he's back, then that's okay. If he's not, then they'll probably need an edge rusher. And then on offense, if you get guys healthy... Other than the quarterback situation, possibly a wide receiver? Like a deep threat type, maybe? A speed type? Well, the thing is, they have Paul Richardson coming back from injury, and I think he can be that guy. He didn't really get that opportunity to be that guy. And they have some young guys that they really like. Cam Sims, who was an undrafted free agent, they really liked. They have Sibby Cobbs on their practice squad, who they really like. It's a tough one because they've got a lot of young receivers that they really like the potential of, but they need one or two of those guys to stop being potential and... (laughs) you know, being good receivers. And that's kind of where they're at with Josh Doxon as well. And you'll see it flashes off and you'll be like, yeah, we, we're okay at receiver. We don't desperately need one. And then you'll go a week or two where they do nothing and you say, okay, we, we need a legit number one receiver. So I would say receiver is up in the air as well, but that's not necessarily as big a need as, as filling some of the stuff on defense like corner or, or linebacker. Absolutely. And we're going to be tracking it throughout the entire offseason. Got a close eye on the Redskins as our divisional rival, of course. He has been Mark Bullock. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL, and that's B-U-L-L-O-C-K. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great fun. And we are back. Mark, that is going to do it for episode five of the QB Sco Show. You having fun, bud? Dude, I'm, I'm having a blast on these shows. I get to talk some history. I get to talk to my boy Michael Kist when he's not screaming at me for getting our squad blowed up at Battlefield 1 or whatever. Or So <laughs> it's always an enjoyable, enjoyable time. Plus, I get to you know chat a little bit with Eagles fans who I've got a huge soft spot for, even though they probably... Although, let's remember, Carson Wentz was QB2. I'm just going to say, let's not forget that. Carson Wentz was QB2 for me. I was somebody that believed in him. I didn't say, you know, write him off or say that he was a bust or anything like that. I'm just saying, (laughs) show some love for your boy. You got to ingratiate yourself with the city, man. You're not one of those analysts like some of some of that we know that said that he couldn't make NFL throws or lacked NFL toughness. We won't name any names, but look, that is going to do it for the QB Sco Show episode number five. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned. Next up, we have the Kissed and Solak Show episode number 50. We're going to be previewing the Eagles offense against the Cowboys defense. We'll catch you next time. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> 
We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.